When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, Tim Ryder, we got a special guest. It's Ernest Dove, my former colleague at Metsmerized, currently uh, doing pods and live streams over at Sportinarium and Max Metz. Ernest, welcome to the show. This is exciting. What's happening, man? Thank you for having me on, man. I think I've been trying to catch up to you lately with all the success and uh, with the sports and Mets content these days. Oh, thank you, sir. I've actually been laying, taking it quite easy recently. I burned myself out after like, a, I don't know, a half a decade of just boom, 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 putting it all out. I guess it coincided with the Mets kind of taking a nosedive. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm relaxing watching the uh, the Mets world burn. Well, yeah, aren't we all at this point? <laughs> oh, it's 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 dire straits at this point, huh? This, uh, of course, we're recording uh, Monday, so uh, they just closed out their series in Boston over the weekend, and boy, that was uh, mostly lifeless, huh? I, well, I mean, I guess obviously we can kind of say that for months now, but you know, you know, let's consider it the biggest dire straits at this point, because everybody wanted to use the six game winning streak and everything is like, Hey, let's give it one last shot. And the veterans are, Hey, you know, don't count us out. But yeah, another kind of lifeless situation, or even if they would have won the series, you kind of start worrying, but you know, you keep trying to shut these doors. I don't know at what point, what are we really waiting on right now? Yeah, no. And, and you know, Billy Epler spoke to the media this weekend and they were talking about Ronnie Mauricio, who I'm, I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. But, um, you know, you have all of these, I guess, would have been options at, at any point, really, from when Diaz got hurt through, you know, the continued crumbling of this team. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, optionable relievers and we got to get this guy going and DJ Stewart and, you know, DJ Stewart, he, he's actually been decent considering you know all circumstances considered but it's just yeah one one bad step in front of the other and and even when they get a little momentum they just cough it back up you know not our year we've been saying that forever but this is really not our year i mean also you know beating a dead horse too what i've been saying a lot even online is just when every team's gonna have this but when you start the season like one of the the highest paid pitcher in baseball, Verlander, doesn't even break camp. Uh, you have a veteran, at least mid to back end rotation, eat innings eating legit guy coming off a year in Quintana. He's out, and then you lose Diaz. So you lose two starting pitchers and the best closer in baseball, and they say go and start camp. So we can have excuses all day long now down the line with offense and everything else, but even when you want to talk depth, right? Here we are, okay. Their brilliant strategy was let's fill up the, the arms with optionable guys so we're not picking off the waiver wire and indie ball. And then guess what? You lose like three guys in like three seconds. 
And you're going to end up right back where you started having depth issues because they don't, we could even talk about it in a few minutes, but it's like they didn't have the, the prospect depth going into this year. And that was probably the, some of the issues going in that was kind of left over to them from the, the past uh, regime. Oh, sure. And, you know, considering they really made a push this year to contend, I guess in a vacuum, you can see the reasoning behind some of their decisions. Um, in retrospect, of course, hindsight being 2020. Yeah. Wow. They, they, they came up quite short in some areas. Now, you know, on paper, you look at this team and say, okay, well, you know, if they can get hot, maybe they they have a run left in them. There's seven games out in a wild card that combines teams that, you know, that I guess teams ahead of them that really don't spark much interest, but they're playing very good ball, so you really can't knock that. Um, but in the in the same breath, we as you know who follow this team on a daily basis, we know that they've given us zero indication that they're going to be that they've got that dog in them as the kids say <laughs> and and wow. it's you know whether they make a run or not i just don't see the the vibe of this season really changing like how, how does things uh, it's rhetorical at this point but how does it all fall apart and the front office really just watch it happen that's one thing Bucks decisions have been, you know, of course, magnified because they've lost a bunch of games this year. So, of course, that's under fire and justly because they've been a couple of head scratchers, more than a couple. But even if they make a run seven games out in the wild card, let's say they cut that down to four by the end of the week, which trade deadline is on August 1st, which is Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday beginning of August. Yeah. yeah, Tuesday next week. So even if they make a run in your in your mind, Ernest, does anything really change with as far as what they need to do to keep this organization on the right foot moving forward into the future come this trade deadline? I mean, that's my thing. And even with Epler or whatever he's saying publicly, and that's fine either way. And I, I do agree. You know what? I agree. I like the idea of buying and selling at the same time because it can sound stupid or political, but that's kind of the point. And I think with Cohen's money and he basically pays off everyone's salary that they would try to sell. So you're going to get a little bit better prospects, but at the same time, again, me, the prospect hugger of all people saying this, I've been saying this for almost two years. Like, Hey, everyone, you're not going to have all four of these baby Mets, including Mauricio in your everyday lineup for the next 10 years. Like I just don't, I don't see it. And I'm the guy who lives in dreams, Mets minor leaguers to the death, but I just don't see it. Like you're not all going to be in the lineup. So if you were to part with somebody, I mean, we can name names here and get through the whole thing of who should, who they should trade, who they shouldn't. We can debate that all day. I do like the idea of if you want to push off a few guys to get somebody with another year of control, I'm not just, I'm not asking the Mets to buy any rental at all whatsoever. They should be fired if they buy a rental. But if you, <laughs> while you're selling your rentals, if you can pick up a guy who's at least even under control for one year or next year, I think it's worth a shot. I mean, I know the idea is I brought up the Lindor situation. That was kind of a big trade. And Lindor, you didn't really know he was staying or not. He just, you took your chances and ended up being in a pretty good hindsight situation, even though anyone, I'm sure they all want Lindor like punted to the moon every three seconds, depending on the game on Mets Twitter. 
<laughs> but I still kind of overall like what he's doing, and I'm sure I'm certainly happy and fine with him being one of the Mets organization for another seven, eight years. But I do like the idea of buying and selling as long as you get a control. But you know what? I agree. Also, don't, please don't get another one of those. He's got a great arm, uh, high K rate, high walk rate. Let's let's deal with it with the options. Like, no, I'm, I'm actually saying if you want to part with one of the top 20 prospects, even though guys like Vientos are no longer even ranked, I think, officially based on how long he's been in the on the team. But if you're going to part with a few guys like that and get you like a starting pitcher who's going to be under control for next year, or I mean, something of that level or an actual major league, current major league arb ish level reliever, who's like almost an all-star. Those are the guys. If you can acquire them right now from a team who can't pay for them in two years, do it. So, th- I mean, in a way I'm kind of saying two different things, but I do like the idea of that. I'm with you because it wouldn't necessarily be a, oh, they're buying or they're selling situation. They're making a move with an eye towards the future, which is always a smart move. Um, I'm with you 100%. I wouldn't be, you know, you have to, one, you have to feel the team this season. So everyone's not going, but nobody should be, quote unquote, you know, not nailed down. Uh, Excluding, of course, whoever's in your mind for who's in the future plans, which we could probably name a few, but everybody knows who's around. But like you come to a guy like, oh, I don't know, Jeff McNeil, where, you know, we've seen his high points. We've seen his low points. We know that for a successful team, you need a guy like Jeff McNeil in there, especially his bad, his versatility on defense. Like, Of course, hypothetically, if another team comes calling and says, oh, we want McNeil, you know, at what point is one at one point of the Mets considering it, on the flip side, not even flip side, I'm like a pivot from that coin. Um, The track record that we've seen from Billy Epler, are you trusting him to make these very, very important decisions with a lot riding on it? And again, I guess the stakes are a little bit lower because Cohen's got money to spend, but you know he doesn't want to go out there and spend $300 a year. I mean, honestly, maybe it's a joke, but I don't think, Cohen's worried about the money, uh, but the whole point was he wanted to field a winner for the organization, for the franchise, and for the fans. Like I honestly believe that, whether I'm drinking the Kool Aid or not, because we're, this this guy is also a fan. His family have been fans. He didn't need to buy the team. Like there's other things that go into it. So I I just I'm, I'm just you gotta still feel the disappointment of all of that. This is going on, but with Epler. I mean, there was Brooks Raley, so and I love the guy that they traded away for him. I think he's doing okay uh, in the in, with the Rays uh, organization. I think he's all the way still in Double A. He's not even at Triple A at this point. I don't believe. Uh, was it again? I ask you. Um, so it's it looks like a monster, at the very least, a balanced trade. Like you you actually matched a fair trade with the Rays, which you should probably almost want to give an award for that. But then when you. <laughs> I'm going to forever think about the rough trade for the rest of my life, regardless of what happens to any minor leaguer and JD. And I mean, that's one of those that just, I don't know what happened. And then we talk about the Naquin deal. uh, Some of the teenagers that are like starring, which gets into some kind of long player development discussion on on who's scouting who and have the Mets been able to scout their own guys. Uh, That's been a discussion all along social media. Because when you have certain guys like Andy Rodriguez and guys are looking amazing on other teams that they that they kind of moved as teenagers. Uh, um, who's the young guy that went to Cincinnati in the Naquin deal? He's raking this year. 
Yeah, there was one. It was another. Oh man, was it Hector? Not Hector Rodriguez, I think. It was maybe Hector Rodriguez. I think. I think. You, yeah, you got it. There. I'm gonna look it up while you're. But please continue. I'm sorry. It, well, it was just one of those. I, that's really rough right now. I think they gave up a a teenage pitcher, teenage hitter, and they're pretty much two of the top guys in like low A. <laughs> so it's it Hector looks Rodriguez. Good call, Ernest. <laughs> it looks pretty terrible, and I think it was a pitcher and a hitter. And even me as a prospect guy, I wasn't. I, I, I'm always willing to admit I try to get info as I can, especially with the DSL guys and yes. the international players early on. And I guess that was the thing, even pre-Cohen, there was that thing of like, hey, do you know what you have in your own players? Because if other teams are like taking your teenagers and at least for a few years, they seem to be thriving in low A, high A, which doesn't mean a lot in Major League Baseball. So I understand it, but it has been a bit of a concern. So now it's like, well, Epler, all the new resources you have, even through today, um, how much talking are you doing with everyone, hopefully, who might be trying to steal away some of your teenagers that they like from their eyeball tests and metrics? And are you countering that with yours? Even right now, I'm getting messages. I'm hearing some pretty cool stuff about some DSL kids. And, I, you know, you, you definitely assume everyone's going to know about it. Uh is Epler going to, I don't care about winning trades, but is Epler going to get fair trades and fair value no matter what he does, buying or selling? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot to chew. It's a lot to, to, to chew on. Um, it, for, see, I guess my hang up would be he's very much sitting on a, a lame duck status. Maybe he's looking for a, a job saver of a trade out there. I just hope that his focus is, is still, I guess, and he's a professional. You really can't speculate on this. You shouldn't, I shouldn't speculate on this, but selfishly, I, I, I worry. And not just Epler, I guess in all, in all types of situations like these, like what's the impetus behind the moves? Is he trying to get another job? Does he really have the best interests of the New York Mets in all of his moves going forward. And, and, you know, even when those questions weren't even relevant, going back to the J.D. Davis and the Naquin trades, yeah, there were some very, very odd choices. Or, or Yeah, let's leave it at that. Odd choices there. But in the same, I guess, in the same respect, I guess anything that, Anything negative will reflect negative on negatively on him as a GM anyway. So I guess it's neither here nor there. But yeah, I'm I'm quietly concerned with what's going to happen in the next week or so. You know, just regardless of wins or losses, everyone should be on the table, and, and it's about getting fair value and fail, fair returns back returns that are going to go ahead and prop up. I don't want to say a, a weak minor league system. Cause it's certainly gotten better, but um, I guess Ernest, you'd be probably be the guy to ask on this. What, what's the grade of the system now? And with a, a successful trade deadline where you see, let's say a small handful of guys move, what is the grade that like a potential grade that could be reflected after this deadline? Well, that's the thing. I, you feel like the, the Mets farm system has grown in the last year. Uh, Cause my, okay. What I've been saying is what they're top heavy in teenagers. That was my weird slogan 
like from a year, year and a half ago. So the Mets entire farm system after the Brody situation of trading pretty much every upper minors leaguer that they even have, there was about 20 guys. And when it was, when that, when it was all said and done, what the Mets were left with. And then they even had those two drafts where they basically just drafted three guys and then college seniors in both drafts. So you went and then you trade away a bunch of guys and you're kind of left with top heavy teenagers. The, the whole top 20 was probably like, I, I probably almost most of the top 20 in my own personal one, I would think was like 80% guys that were age 16 to 20 or 16 to 19. And now, it, so what is it now? Because now you're thinking, okay, well now Alvarez and Vientos and Beatty all officially, I don't even think qualify as a version of let's rank these guys in the prospects in a minor league system. Yeah, they're, they're so right. when, you, yeah, yeah. when you graduate all the three top guys, like, okay, whoops. Now, now you want to get into depth and the, the Mets might've been kind of lacking that depth. So without them, you, you definitely feel it lowers, but here's what's going on. You graduate those three. Uh, the top heavy teenagers are now in high a double a, and even with a guy like Vassal rushing up to AAA, that's great for the organization. But then also, by the way, now all the injuries set in. You got Ziegler's just out. Allen's out. Uh, you, there's even uh, Joel Diaz, who I really, I, I really liked him in, in, in St. Lucie. Just a, an 18-year-old. I don't know how – he wasn't really polished, but I like what was going on with, with Diaz. And now he's gone. So when you have all the injuries, you graduate three guys – um, you're the farm system I, right now in 2023, the Mets farm system is being saved by the guys that no one had ranked. Like that's the only saving grace for the 2023 season is the non-ranked guys doing amazing in the first half of the minor league seasons right now. For me, it's, it's been an amazing thing to watch and I'm just excited about all the non-top 20 guys and even non-top 30 guys that are pretty much saving the Mets farm system right now. Well, I guess that's kind of the the upside of bringing in so much young, unpolished, raw talent in these 16 through 18-year-olds that you mentioned Uh is that, you know, give them some experience in professional ball and you might get a higher success rate than you would if you were actually out there, you know, I don't want to say, you know, doing the same level of scouting, you know, here or however it works out, but it's... It, you know, it, maybe there's a method to the madness, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there always there always can be because, again, you want to shoot for the stars. So you're gambling on the younger guys. Uh, I think the international classes have been pretty good for the Mets. I mean, they've been kind of rolling out a nice number of – well, okay, other teams can attest to this because they now have them. Uh, <laughs> but, but the Mets have been kind of – setting up some really nice young signings. And I've been kind of talking to some, to some people through the Mets organization, and I know they they are a team. If you ask the Mets scouting department anything, they're just basically going to say, here's what we have going on, because they there is no singularity. There's no singling out in the scouting department in the Mets organization. They are absolutely made for TV, all for one, one for all, which is kind of fun and exciting to hear. Um, but they do have these younger guys that, at least some of them are off the hot starts in the box scores. Other ones, they just they still like what they see. So we're just gonna have to kind of roll with it and not just want to bury everybody because they're hitting two hundred for like three weeks in like the DSL because it's not over yet, everybody. 
Oh, sure. I think, you know, the ups and downs are probably even more pronounced when you're dealing with such a young crop of prospects, you know, that are that are all making their way through the system kind of as a just a big conglomerate of young kids, like like you said, teenagers that are moving their way through and, you know, the cream's going to rise to the top. And who knows? The Mets might have some real bona fide players in that group. But as far as like your, you know, you look at your top five right now, it's, well, this is per MLB. It's Parada, Parada, Mauricio, uh-huh. Jet Williams, Alex Ramirez, and Blake Tidwell with Hamill, Ziegler, and uh, Vassal right behind. Um, one, what do you see for the future of, Par- of Parada? I mean, still, like, I've been trying to sniff around forever on Parada. And even through this week with me trying to ask about Kevin Parada, I'm, what I'm hearing is the improvements as a catcher. Like, that's it. The metrics, the catching, catching, catching. That's all I'm hearing. I could try to pry around, but I'm not hearing anyone say, hey, you know, he's, we're giving him a look in the outfield. We feel he's very versatile. Like, I haven't heard any of that. So since day one, even from last year, I was hearing – that Parada was an absolute like leader. So first and foremost, he's a leader. Uh, he supports his teammates. He's one of those guys who just sounds like a catcher. Uh, and he's <laughs> the bat has been coming around now, which is fine with me, but he's been showing up on a lot of top 100 lists from early on as well. So they kind of probably all figured the bat is just too good. It's going to start lighting up, which he's starting to do now. And again, my info is that the, the metrics and some of the fancy stuff and the analytics is saying that the catching is getting better. And then behind him, I, I mean, I've been trying to almost defend guys for a while. Like Alex Ramirez is 20 years old. If you ask, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on Alex Ramirez? And I'm like, Listen, he's 20 years old. Like, I know fans want him to be hitting like 350 and we can be talking about him on SportsCenter, but he's coming along. He's 20 years old in high A. Uh, they're not really super worried about, oh, no, he's a bust. We spent too much money. Like We could slow down on that for now. He has a lot of tools. And then Blade Tidwell, he's been incredible now. He's been on a hot streak for a while. And I don't even know if it's can, if I should even call it a hot streak because Blade Tidwell is basically being who he is. Even when there were concerns about the command all first half, you talk to Mets people, it's like, well, he was a good command guy coming out of college. We know who he is. They're working on all the minor league stuff, and it might be just – finally starting to show up now as he gets hot. I don't think he may stop being hot. He might be the one frontline guy you could try to project as a ceiling of the the five top arms in my head. He might be the cream of the crop right now. Well, that'd be exciting and certainly much needed, you know, for a Mets farm system that, you know, of course, outside perspective and in my case, you know, kind of half an eye on the prospects. Um, mm. it, it's it's certainly, you know, encouraging that you have some pitching guys coming up because for a while now it's been, you know, position players and that's fine. That's all well and good. But um, you almost can see, of course, you see it in the, I guess, the uh, what we saw this year with this optionable arm thing. The Mets had no real, you know, pitching prospects ready to make the jump and and be effective at this level. And they were kind of reserved to play in the cards that they that they played and you know it's um it's unfortunate you know you wish things could have handled it could have been handled differently at some point but like you just said a few minutes ago you know the Mets did make some missteps uh, as far as their farm system this is going back over the last you know maybe three four maybe five years 
Um, I know everyone's talking about Ronnie Mauricio, and anyone who listens to this pod knows we are Ronnie Mauricio fans uh, through and through here. Mm. Um, he's had his ups and downs this year. He's had his ups and downs throughout his minor league career. And, of course, he's always played in a, anywhere from like a three to five-year, uh, well, I guess under minus three to five-year uh, compared to league average um, across his minor league career. And that, that's starting, finally starting to catch up as he gets older. But one, what do you make of this clearly talented player who certainly has some flaws that is he, I guess, is he reaching the point that he's done all he can do in the minors that if he's going to develop any further, does he have to hit the major leagues? Well, I, that's kind of the, what I've been thinking about Vientos uh, for a few months now It's kind of like, Hey, you know, I don't know what it's, what will become of Mark Vientos, but even from standards or player development or innings caps, innings logged, everyone has an idea on at bats and minor leagues. I think Vientos has done enough AAA. So you kind of, he is who he is or who you want him to be at this point. Now with Ronnie Mauricio, it, I know it was shocking to me what he was doing in winter ball. So once winter ball happened and he was basically like, you know, the, the MVP of winter ball, it was kind of like, all right, wait a minute. Um, he might've taken another step here. So, and as far as defensively, you know, I've been reporting it. Some of the latest Intel that I had this week was just that, Hey, we, we honestly truly feel he's getting better by the day at both second base and left field. It could be some coach talk, some nice political talk, but they support him. They feel he's getting better by the day. They don't, they don't feel like he's embarrassing himself in the field. But you know what? Also, he wasn't necessarily – he was no Luis Guillorme in the minors anyway at short. So we have a guy – I don't even know if playable would have been the term as a shortstop for, for the, all the years recently coming into this year for Mauricio, but – that's we his ceiling or floor can kind of be what it is defensively. So let's throw that out. As far as the bat, winter ball said a lot, and at this, even at this point this year, he slumped in June, right? Didn't he have an injury in June? So everyone's like, let's kill him. Even like I swear it's the Conforto situation. The guy has a broken wrist of sorts, or whatever was wrong with him that year. He hits a buck fifty, and everybody wants him shot to the moon. And it seems like that's the situation right now with the minor league level for Mauricio. Like, oh, no, he's a bust now. Like, really? No. Because he had some kind of injury in June. He's been struggling ever since. Then he hits a 115-mile-per-hour tank uh, the other night for a game winner. That might be who you have here. Uh, he's not Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds, but even if – and people brought up, like, Soriano as an absolute dream, like, ceiling uh, of sorts. Tip the hat to keep low. I like that comment. I mean, that's an amazing comp. I don't even know if it's even can go that high. My comp is not even a good one. If it was like a, but we'll see. But yeah, you can't even really say that. My thing was, can I call him a non-defensive Javi Baez? So uh, is that a good enough ceiling for so that? This is a guy you can talk about what he's done for two years now. But Baez has a nine-figure contract, the last that I checked. So. I, there's guys who have produced at the major league level. If Ronnie Mauricio is some kind of weird mix of like a Baez without defense, if it's a Soriano, but not that high. Um, I don't believe like, for example, Mauricio has uh Soriano's uh, foot speed. I'm, I'm actually really super excited about Mauricio already having like 15 stolen bases. I didn't even know he had that in him. Cause I kind of, my information was more about, Hey, work in progress slash working hard in, in the field. 
And then maybe like an, kind of an average, you wouldn't think of that type of shortstop middle infielder, maybe not having that type of foot speed. But he's been stealing bases. The hit tool has kind of been going up, in my opinion, since winter ball. So he deserves the credit. So I, as far as should he be up right now, I don't know. Would he go one for 10 with six strikeouts? Maybe. Uh, regardless, because he's a switch hitter, I don't know if he would be able to handle major league pitching right now if it came at him, especially if he played once a week in the, in the Mets lineup. Well, I guess I'll save that joke. But imagine, t- imagine making that type of jump and having to face major league pitching from both sides. Yeah, that's got to be um, daunting. Well, yeah, especially if, again, with the jokes, if he wasn't playing every day. So, yeah. I, I mean, it, in my world, the Mets are buyers slash sellers. And once all the rentals are gone, I would have Vientos and Mauricio in the everyday lineup one way or another till it's over. Uh, that's yeah. just me, but I'm a minor league guy, so I have a bias. No, I, I don't. I, I also don't think that there's going to be a loss in value. And I think people have even mentioned it through today on social media. Like, well, at this point, Vientos, whether they're screwing with him, they don't even play him enough. People are saying, I ah, can't hit major league pitching anyway. Well, you know what? If he's exposed, he's exposed, but it already was done is done. He'll, if he went back to AAA right now and played for a month straight, he'd probably hit 300 and 350. Because I think he's too good for AAA. So yeah. you might as well find out what you got at this point. Let Vientos play every day because I've been saying for years, I don't see Vientos being some 300 hitter anyway. He's probably a guy that you're going to look for the home runs and doubles. And where he plays defensively, I'm probably a lot of DH and 1B. Um, maybe, <laughs> and and letting him. And, and only giving them the opportunity to see major league pitching maybe once or twice a week, you're not going to get any sort of development out of that. You're just going to stick him in a deeper hole because he's seeing wicked, you know, the most wicked sliders and breaking stuff he's ever seen in his life. And he's not seeing it consistent enough to actually get better. He's just being blown away by it. Now, you know, let's say that things happen at the trade deadline. You do have all these guys on the roster at once. Vientos. Um, uh, uh, Mauricio and then Beatty and Alvarez both, you know, pretty much entrenched at this point. Yeah. I mean, do you not give them every single opportunity available to get them major league at bats and see what you got? I mean, to me, that's at least, especially in Ronnie's case, where he's going to be exploited at this level. Anybody who swings that much is going to be exploited. And the comp to Javi Baez, I hope he doesn't turn into a Javi Baez because that. You know, that chase rate is um, – that's what's kept him from being an elite hitter. I think you saw it during his time with the Mets when they – somehow they convinced him to stop chasing so much. And that was arguably the highest point or the highest whatever, 60 games or whatever that was after he had a little slump at the beginning of his career. He was incredible. He wasn't chasing. He was playing – anyway, uh, clearly he had, he wasn't that player in Detroit and he's really never been that player, but – you know, more power to him for doing it here for a little bit. Anyway, huh. if Ronnie, if Ronnie Mauricio can just have a little, and, and you know, with a big frame like his and the ability to hit balls out of the zone, four hundred and twenty feet, huh. it's you know, you don't blame him for wanting to swing, but I think the experience and the just the the natural, I guess, presence to. Lay off and, and focus on your only the the, the 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 hottest parts of your so-called, you know, grid that you're looking at in your mind when the pitch comes in. I think he'll only get that sort of 
finishing touch or polishing at this level. And I hate putting it off. I really do. Especially if the Mets are going to go nowhere. Well, yeah. And again, for value purposes, I don't, what, what else, then you might as well try to sell high and trade them right now for a controllable arm at this deadline. Don't if you, they do that, don't you speak such blasphemy? Well, I well, I know there's people out there that are like, I consider Ronnie on the same level as Alvarez. I've heard it, I've seen it. I I'm not. I don't want to argue against that or debate it. There are people who feel that Ronnie Mauricio will be that Murph or that Justin Turner. Oh, oh, oh and, uh, wait. Do, do, are you saying that that Ronnie could be in the same boat as Alvarez as far as you know, uh, prodigious type stuff? That's why I mean other people. That's there's a lot of people online, I, social media, I'm and fans. I'm kind of in that boat, man. I know he has some finishing touches to make, but I'm kind of I'm kind of in that boat. Well, because again, even if I don't care, he's not going to win a Gold Glove. But <laughs> what if he was able to stick as a middle reliever, or you plug him in left field? I, what if he hits to a ceiling of 30 home runs and he can play second base, or even in left field? You hit you. You're in left field. You're a switch hitter. You can hit 30 home runs. I, that sounds pretty good to me as far as value. As far as the batting average, I don't know if he hits 240 with a 309 on base percentage and he hits 30 home runs as a second baseman. How do we value that? I don't know what the metrics are. What's the WAR going to be based on his defense? Right. Uh, it, I don't know how that all averages out. But if he could be a 25 to 35 home run bat. It, you put them somewhere and figure it out, especially as a switch hitter. And we're never going to know unless the Mets put bring him up here and, and see what he has. So, and, uh-huh. and same thing, they they brought Vientos up and they've barely used him. And, ah, it's maddening. But Ernest, we we've run out of time. I still have mm-hmm. a small segment to do after this. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. This was so much fun. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just uh, check me out on Twitter at Ernest Dove. Uh, and also, if you can check out and support the uh, Sportswire radio crew at sportinarium.com slash player. And to get your blogging fixed when there's multiple blogs out there, if you also want to check out uh, Max Metz at maxmetz.blogspot.com. It's also one of the other really good Mets uh, fan websites out there that just really shares everyone's information. So you go on there. You're going to get a lot of Mets talk, and it's not even necessarily from all their writers. They're also going to share everybody else's thoughts, including possibly also as well from Tim Ryder. So either way, you're probably hearing information from everywhere around the Internet. So uh, that's kind of all the places to try to find me. You could always catch me on a YouTube or something, but I'm not that great to look at. So that's all good. Stick to Twitter. (laughs) Well, no, you guys do have a lot of fun at the uh, Sportinarium. Uh, with that crew, and um, I do look forward to all your takes. And everybody, f- follow Ernest on Twitter. I wish I had it in front of me. Or what's your Twitter handle? It's my whole name: E R N E S T D O V E. You got it. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna do a quick preview of the Subway Series, which you know me, I'm not too crazy about it. But boy, I guess both teams are kind of playing just for pride, so that could be fun. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And welcome back. So real quick, just a uh, very brief sign-off. Mets close out their Subway Series with the Yankees beginning on Tuesday in the Bronx. You have Justin Verlander going up against Domingo Herman on Wednesday, uh, Jose Quintana and Carlos Rodon. Um, you know, standings-wise, we talked about where the Mets are at. They are uh, <laughs> swimming barely above, well, not even above water, but, uh, you know, season on the brink. Yankees are uh, in the in, in last place for, uh, you know, tied for last place in the American League East with a record six games over 500. Uh, looks like that losing record streak will, will continue. Well, haven't had a losing record since... 93, I guess. So they're nine games out in the East. Everyone's over 500. Wild card wise, they're two and a half out. So the Yankees are certainly playing uh, with a little more steam behind them. The Mets are going to be playing for pride. And hopefully, you know, something clicks for them and, you know, at least finish this season out somewhat strong. Um, and, you know, ultimately, this is going to be on the on the Mets to show up and play. I think this is, uh, you know, one of those, <clears throat> I guess, signature moments of the season, especially, you know, your rivalry week or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, Subway Series. I don't get too wrapped up with the Subway Series, but the fans do, and especially in the stadium, especially in the Bronx. You know, you're going to have energy in the stadium, and you just hope the Mets kind of respond to it because, you know, with – Oh, how many games they got left? There are 99. They got about 63 left. You know, it's time to uh, to wake up. Like I said earlier, playing for pride. That's that's where they're at now. Just a very quick uh, outro here. Um, Taryn will be back with us uh, next week. Uh, there is no show around the trade deadline. Andrew is on his honeymoon, so we will not be putting anything out. But uh, keep an eye on the Apple. We'll have some content coming out. Maybe we'll do a Spaces or something like that. But until then, it's uh, LFGM. Let's fucking go Mets. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.